All right, well, I'm in Sydney, Australia, and I am joined by Nathan Machunik from Select Plant Australia. Welcome on the podcast. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate you getting my name right. Um, so it's always a big thing in a first step to actually pronounce a surname as difficult as mine. So. It is. Well, it ends Good job. With, it ends with a G, and you <laughs> pronounce it with a C. So Absolutely. it's a little bit confusing. And, and there is a funny story that a number of people that I've worked with in the industry um, I teach them uh, a little song, and if they actually watch this, they'll understand uh, the Matunic song. Uh, I'm not going to go into what it is exactly to actually learn how to spell it and pronounce it, but um, if they do get a hold of this video, they'll know who I'm talking <laughs> they about. They know exactly what you're talking 100%. about. 100%. All right, little inside joke. All right, well, maybe just to start off with, just want to explain to the audience, like, who is Nathan Matunic? Yeah, so Nathan Matunic, uh, been in the rental industry for the better part of 20 something years worked in a number of different rental businesses and at present for the last 15 months been leading uh, select plan australia as the business unit leader so quite an interesting and diverse role being nationally based but definitely my roots are in rental and the business side of things that come with rental so yeah. so, so where was your your first entry point into the industry uh, so that would have been at rec air in the lovely Wetherill Park Depot was my first introduction as, as a yards person. So definitely um, a grassroots experience. I think like so many others um, in the industry, entry level role, didn't really know what rental was about. So it was always a, this is interesting. I loved equipment. So tools have always been my thing. Mm. You know, people will describe they're a rental person. I'm a tool person. Um, so it, that that side of things always interested me. So so, did, what was your intro then? Like, were you was there a job in the paper? Was it online? No, like, it was, was actually a, a, got referred to a role by a relative who worked at, at Wetherill Park Rec Air. Oh, nice. Um, so that was quite interesting. Was I was actually just wrapping up um, Bachelor of Science um, at uni and thought, what am I going to do with myself? Let's work with equipment. Um, yeah, it's like, do I really want to be in a lab coat for 40 hours a week um, doing that sort of work? Or do I want to be outdoors? And, you know, obviously at that young age, uh, thinking, I want to be outdoors. I don't want to be tied up in a lab. It was pretty, uh, pretty stark when I thought about it. It's like, do I really want to do that? So, yeah, I got a, a job. And one of my first tasks was cleaning and rolling tarps yeah. um, in the yard. So I think that's probably the version of hazing as it was in the rental industry yeah. but then you got the the tarp job and the rest is virtually history yeah. so if, to speak but if you can do all the jobs that nobody wants to do and yeah. you and you appreciate how hard they are when you eventually become a manager of some sort like you appreciate when someone's going above and beyond absolutely and i think just even you think about that role the things you you pick up and learn without really knowing subconsciously what you're picking up you learnt how a machine or, or a piece of equipment operates you know uh, check the oil the fuel make sure it starts all those sorts of things clean it up make sure it's presentable mm. you teach you're learning about branding without even realizing it well if this equipment looks good that's a great customer perception that's a that's a good experience it starts with a clean piece of equipment yeah you know there's all those you know initial things that go with it i've always said that 
I feel like mechanics can be great sales reps. 100%. Because they understand the equipment better than anyone else. I mean, they talk to customers and a customer yeah. has a technical question. Yeah. They go into detail about how things work. Uh, and I feel like a lot of technicians don't actually understand that or, or believe it. And they get very nervous when they talk to people. And But customers trust them through and through just because they're telling them honest feedback. Absolutely. You know, when you say that, it's one of the things, there's two people that touch customers more than anybody else in the industry or, or in any phase of work or assets, you know, those sorts of things or, or a service-based industry is your mechanics and your drivers. So, you know, and they are definitely the best salespeople that I would think that, that have so much to offer other than just, you know, the important jobs that they do. Mm. And whether it's, again, like you said, with a mechanic, an intricate understanding of the asset or, or the piece of equipment, how to troubleshoot it. They're the best people to speak to if a customer's having an issue as well because they know what those common things can be that can cause some sort of alarm with it with a client or a customer and really build a relationship. The driver as well, yeah. calling the customer before they arrive showing up on time, showing them how the asset works because they're all different. You go to any rental business and there's different levels of or, or different types of equipment, even though they may be the same category, so to speak, but there's nuances between every single one of them. Mm. And if anyone's dealt with demo saws over the years, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, and I guess, do you think most rental companies have that perception where they should train their drivers and mechanics to to have that influence or do you think that um, it's the other direction where it's like no your job is to deliver equipment on time I think it can be both um, it depends on which business you speak about or you talk about but I think it's a massive opportunity for the industry um, and also different career pathways you know not every you know you see a lot of really good examples of people that have been mechanics um, that have gone on to lead successful businesses in the rental industry um, there's been a couple on this podcast um, that again started in one role, progressed through. No different, very similar story to myself. Um, grassroots, understanding the customer, understanding the equipment, understanding the capability of the business um, that you're working with. So if there's any opportunity that the industry has, and I think a lot of the, what I'd say a private business or the family businesses would probably have a better handle on what that looks like yeah. Um. Yeah, and I think maybe the the way it needs to be put is all right. If you are a driver or a mechanic and you want to do something else in the future and and, and have a career path in, in a certain direction, Absolutely. like remember that like all the work that you put into building the relationships with your customers over time, when you change roles, customers don't forget that. Of course. And so it's almost an investment in themselves as well. Whereas like the the other side of the coin is, no, I'm just a driver mm. and my job is to load equipment, check it all, deliver it and sign it off. You know what I mean? Like it's- Yeah, I do. I think, I think the rental industry is unique like that though. I think people understand whether, you know, you're a driver or a mechanic or a fitter, field service, a TA, that it's part of a service, it's part of a solution. So I really do think that the vast majority would not just see themselves as they're an advocate for your business while they're interacting with your customer. And, and I really do believe that most of the people, if you spoke to them in those roles today, whether they're a driver or a mechanic or a fitter, they would say that 
you know, that they're part of it. It's not just, I just do this. Mm. And that's probably one of the differentiating things about the industry as a whole. It's you very seldomly hear about, it's not my job. I'm just this. Yeah, and those people don't last anyway. No, that's right. And that's the one thing, the beauty about the industry, you're you're in or you're out. Um, Once rental is in, I had a short stint away um, for 18 odd months and then I came back. Yeah. Because it's it's a diverse business. Yeah. So so started as a yardie, got thrown into the mixer straight away. Like, how did your career sort of thrift go from rec air? So from well, from rec air, I had a number of different roles. If I just went back on rec air, so started as a yardie, that didn't last too long. Went into a TA's driver's role, um, so really got a good understanding about the equipment. Then started delivering the equipment to to customers, um, and then from there it was. I think I think I was in that um, that style of role for probably only about six to eight months, and then I moved into the high controller role. So it was quite quick. I started as a high controller there with uh, Mark Smithwick as my manager. So that was was a great time. The Olympics, all the buildings for the Olympics were starting. We had an expansion at Warragamba Dam. I still remember those jobs like it was yesterday. Um, some really iconic projects that we were part of and elevated to a, an assistant manager under Mark and then moved, uh, wanted to become a sales rep at that point. And um, I, was, I was fairly young and green, I, I would say, to be a salesperson. But um, at that point, once I'd achieved all that over the first couple of years, I decided that I definitely wanted to be a salesperson. And I moved to a company called Blackwoods or West Farmers Group and did a, a sales rep uh, like traineeship oh, wow. uh, with that business. So I spent 18 months there worked through that traineeship and then came back into rental. I missed the um, acquisition or, or the merger of Coates and Rec Air, came in at the tail end um, when the culture and all those things and processes were being embedded from the actual merger. So that was quite, I missed, probably missed all the, the juicy stuff as they'd say sure. and came in um, with Graham Quinn and Sid Magna. Um, they recruited me to be a salesperson um, out of the Auburn depot. So, and it wasn't just the Auburn Depot, it was actually Wetherill Park and Blacktown as well. So, but I concentrated predominantly on industrial sort of work. Refineries were big in those days, the one steels, steel mills. Mm. So it was walked straight back into that industrial landscape, uh, landscape coming back from A.E. Baker's, Blackwood's, yeah. industrial so, supplier. So you said that like you were still young yep. to be a sales rep. Like, yep. what, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think do you, why do you think a young person would struggle in that role? I think times have changed is what I would suggest. You know, age is not a barrier as much as it was mm. back then. If you were young, you know, when you were recruited back then, and this is how I think how far just society has evolved in general, let alone business. If you were a young person with no real, what what, what was deemed responsibility, um, if you weren't uh, married, had children or a mortgage, um, they wanted that level of stability to sort of say you were mature enough to move into a role like that. Um, don't know if you want to put that in, but that was the reality. Yeah. Um, and then after I got the experience somewhere else who was willing to put me in that style of role, um, came back in and 
Yeah, but that's not a factor, yeah? Like I, I, I don't believe I, so. I, I see if someone has the right mentality, the Correct. right passion, the right curiosity, yeah. they can do anything, really. Absolutely. Uh, it's just a learning experience. Absolutely. And look, I, I think, you know, to a, to a large extent, some of those early things of the late 90s really shaped who I ended up becoming as a leader and as a person who, who liked to lead people and coach people and how I wanted to treat people. Um, mm. And I just, I've just stayed true to that. Yeah, I think that's probably yeah. the biggest thing for me. But I think if you went back even 20 years ago, if someone's yep. manager was younger than them, yep. that would almost, it would be like a weird relationship. It was weird. I, yeah. c- I can tell you I experienced that firsthand. Um, so it's probably a little bit more of my story after becoming a salesperson. Um, there was a few, the amalgamation of the businesses of Coates, um, the business units, I ended up deciding to become a branch manager. So I moved out of sales after a few years, moved into running a depot at Auburn, so right near the Shell Refinery. And my, I think I was either 25, I think about 25 at the time. So I was running the second largest depot in, in Sydney um, from a general hire perspective at Auburn. Had a team of five people, and unfortunately, everybody was much older than me. Um, so it was, um, I've experienced that, like I said, firsthand. It was different there. That's, I can say, and when I say different, the team just looked at my capability. Um, you know, the ability to lead them, solve solve problems, treat them with respect. Um, they had a lot of experience. By this stage, I, I've, what have I got? Five years of experience in rental or business um, some of those those people had 30 years yeah you know so it was about how they could help me be a better version of myself yeah 25 at a branch manager is pretty young yeah it was it was it was well I like to say I, I do I do like to push it yeah because um, you, you would have been responsible for the P&L for that branch 100% yeah uh, there's yeah probably millions of dollars worth of assets that you're yep. responsible for as well like 25 is like how, how did you sort of manage that like was that uh was it always just like you wanted to bite off more than you can chew and then like figure it out on the way or where how did you sort of take it on no i just i think you see things like and that was one of the benefits of being a salesperson you know aligned to a market in in three different depots or three different geographies in sydney you got to see how different operations were run you got to see what worked what didn't you got direct feedback from your customers in you know you go out and uh, the face of the business and not the driver or the mechanic with the customer understanding how their experience was you got that direct good bad or indifferent you got that feedback one-on-one unfiltered Mm. um and you knew exactly you know how businesses were being run and and then you seen it you seen it firsthand when you went to one of those branches or depots and you picked apart what was great, what you would do. And that's how I always thought about the business. How would I do this differently? How would this, you know, give a different result? Mm. That was always, I always started to think further ahead on how could we do this differently? How could we be better? Yeah, and I think coming from sales, like one thing that I guess a lot of people operations hate is when uh, a sales group or a sales person oversells the solution that they're going to yep. provide the customer and then ops needs to basically figure it out yeah and yep. so then coming from that background and learning the, the ropes there and then working into the operation side you, you've mm. gained 
the knowledge and then you can start mentoring your sales reps yep. that report back into your branch. Correct. And I think it just helps you work cohesively as a team because you actually have a level of understanding and empathy, not only how the business is run from whether it's cleaning an asset, delivering an asset, getting an asset ready for hire, selling the asset, and then actually closing a sale, doing the paperwork and putting it to work. Yeah. You understand the life cycle of that transaction from start to finish. Mm. And if something you know was to go wrong, their assets, their equipment, sometimes things break down. You, you've been given that dexterity is what I'll call it to how to solve that problem, how to keep the customer at ease, how to say, how do we fix this for next time? How do we be better? Mm. And I liked what you said before as well, like when someone becomes a manager then, and they, they come into the situation and they don't think, I'm just going to tell everyone what to do. Like you went on the approach of, I've got like this array of people that have like way more experience than I do. How can I leverage them to help improve me and help the business? Absolutely. Like that's And coming in as a, as a first-time manager in one of the largest branches in Sydney who'd just come off the road, I have to say, it, it, when I reflect on it, the odds were definitely stacked against me. Um, you know, that's, there's always that uh, ongoing battle in between ops and sales within any business, I think, that, that tension, I'll, I'll call it. But um, when you have the understanding of what it's like to do both roles, mm. it makes things so much simpler. Well, in that case, I knew the cycle. So I knew the sales perspective, knew the operational perspective. I knew how it affected me when I was on site. And I also knew how to get things done at a branch level. Mm. So it was the P&L I learned really quick. I had yeah. to, to understand, you know, what impacted what. Um, but again, I'd always been supported with development opportunities. That was not only from a, a role perspective, but also the tools to do that role effectively. Yeah. And then how many years were you at Coates? Uh, I think so... 19 pushing 20 years was the the full block a couple of years at rec air a couple in between on a sabbatical i'll call it from the industry mm. but th that just gave me a different context and, and an introduction to not only construction um you're always on the peripheral with construction but you also from an industrial supplies person or, or business like west farmers who ended up being bunnings as we yeah. all know um and hardware house at the time that was um, quite interesting and eye-opening as well. Same customer base, different product. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yep. So, so what was your final role at Coates before you finished? Before up? I finished, I was the regional manager for the Sydney Specialists. So, I had a couple of different uh, iterations of that role. So, um, did non-mechanical assets, mechanical assets. Had a vast array. I think I'd virtually run every style of region that Coates had to offer, whether it was specialist regional or general equipment rental mm. so really had a thorough understanding on on what made regions operate from both sales and operational perspectives and then working anywhere for 19 20 years like like you almost become part of the furniture absolutely like you you bleed whatever the co the colors of the company yep. are uh, and some of the people that you work with you've almost grown up with them correct like you would see them as family. Like yep. you, when you see someone every day for 20 years, like it's a different type of relationship, yeah? 100%. So leaving Coates yep. must have been a massive thing then. It was. And I think the hardest part, as you said, it was the people element. That was definitely the most challenging. 
a lot of people you know I'd, I'd worked with for you know 20 years and if not previously at rec air so you know you think about you know duration of you know nearly 24 years um, that i knew someone or worked with them that is a, a big investment in building relationships and networks as well yeah so so how did you step outside your comfort zone then like talk me through the mentality but like obviously the opportunity came with select plant yep. australia Walk me through that that process because it wasn't something that you just made a decision overnight on. Oh, definitely not. I, I think that um, you know, regardless of where people sat in the business, a lot of people gave me some really good advice. I've always been an ambitious person. I, that's part of who I am. I really wanted to think about what was next for me. How could I put the skills that I have and the knowledge and experience that I had into something bigger or something ready to be developed more than what it currently is. And I thought, you know, realistically, there was only so much I could do left at Coates, um, which, you know, realistic, great business. The people are fantastic. But what could I do with my skills to keep developing? And I think that's one of the things, you know, you listen and hear a lot of things. One thing that I think you may struggle with after 20 years is what do you do next with your career because you come to that crossroads you know that's what it is essentially you know 20 years in a business do I continue doing this or do I try something else and I think for me given where I was at in my career it was time to try something else Mm. um, and see what else I could do yeah I think a lot of people when they work at a place for a very long time they they get comfortable yeah, and when they get comfortable, they stop. They stop actively managing their career. Yep. Yeah. Totally which, agree. Which is not a bad thing. You need people that mm. are going to be there. I think there was a guy at coach that's like forty-eight years or forty-nine. Jack King, like he's forever. Yeah. The guy's yep. like, it's insane how long he's been. There. Unbelievable. Absolutely. But and and you and you need those people. Like they're amazing people within you. But if you want to push yourself to the next level. Uh, if you don't actively manage your career, yep. you will be in the same role. You will do the same thing. So I guess you've always wanted to challenge yourself and find that next Absolutely. Thing. I think, you know, the, the longest time I actually spent in a role in that business was the last role, realistically. And I think that was, you know, six, maybe seven years. I'd actually been a regional leader for 12 years at Coates. So, you know, that was the, that was a big innings, you know, as, as a regional manager or a regional leader that was I think I was I think I was just on 30 when I took over a region wow so it always always pushed my career and I think I yeah there wasn't that was the longest time but I had different iterations of that regional role over that 12 years you know I had a a western New South Wales for a period of time running operations and sales the general business the specialist business both the specialist businesses you know, it was, and, and then got to play in a lot of different category plans for things. So really understanding asset life cycle yeah. as well. Yeah. And then, so we'll get to Select Plan Australia. So, so Coates, I'll, I'll put them in the group of a traditional equipment rental business. Yep. Uh, Select Plan Australia is a little bit different. So maybe just want to explain to the audience, like who Select Plan Australia are. So Select Plan Australia is part of the Lango Rook business. Um, We've had a global presence as select plant since 1985. Um, 
part of the RO Rourke and Sons construction business or contracting business. And you just want to flag that that's a business that, so Lang O'Rourke, as you see it today, started in Ray O'Rourke's garage or mum's garage. So a tr when you say a true family business, it started as a grassroots construction style business, saw the opportunity in 1985 to have its own plant arm and internally supply. And from there, obviously moved to Australia, 2007, Select Plant Australia was initiated in, in Australia as, as part of that group um, as an internal supply company. Um, so again, really, really had the opportunity to develop its approach and get share of wallet from one customer. So that, that's the best way I'd describe it as opposed to a traditional plant style business or, or a rental business focused on one customer. But it developed somewhat quite different in the UK. So if you look at the UK Select today, it's 85% external. It's a significant business by any rental company means. Um, really specialising in lifting solutions or cranes and lifting and site solutions, so your site accommodation style products. Mm. Um, but then they take it to the next step. So a lot of different add-ons and solutions. And I think that's where this business's heart really lies other than its people is its ability to innovate, be different, be better consistently. And, and that's what I think Select Plant is, or Select Plant Australia is. Um, it's a rental business that provides solutions um, and you know, really do things exceptionally well for a limited customer base. Yeah, when I think about all the, the major contractors, even just around Australia, like, like I, I can't think of one that has uh, uh, an asset division that manages their own plant, the mm -hmm. size. Correct. So, and that's, I think that just speaks to the business itself and how we want to specialise in certain styles of construction products, uh, projects as well, um, and construction products. So if you looked at the rail fleet that we have here in Australia, we do a lot of rail work. A lot of people will know that. So Lingo Rock itself does a lot of rail jobs so we have a lot of specialized rail equipment and not your general rail equipment so highly specialized tampers regulators and cutting edge leading technology sort of sort of investments that we've made to differentiate i think that's the biggest thing where a general rental specialist will want a lot of different things that will mean a lot to a, a lot of different customers so i yeah. know that's a a very broad section of customer bases and and market segments but realistically we want to be a specialist provider mm. so and, and that's how our relationship works with even the supply chain as well so you know we, we do use a lot of the supply chain other rental businesses to supply a lot of the products that are readily available in the market where we want to specialize that's yeah. We want to be different. Yeah. That's what we want to do. And so what, what percentage do you rent externally in Australia? So at the moment, like I said, limited number of customers. Um, we want to continue to specialise in that niche equipment. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about equipment soon enough in this, in this podcast. But um, again, we want to do a smaller number of things exceptionally well. Yeah. Yeah, very good. So, so then 19 years at Coates opportunity arises at Select Plan Australia through Langara Walk. What what made you decide to, to want to work for them? 
There are a few things. So a big thing for me is values alignment. You know, I've got a. If anyone again who who will listen to this will know, I, I consistently and unapologetically bang on about two things. Number one is people. Number two is whatever you're selling, whether it's you're building something, you're renting something, whatever your wares are. They're the two things that make any business great. You get those two things right, everything works out. And that's what this business focuses on. So they had a really strong alignment, met with a number of the directors. It was all about people. So, and that spoke to me directly. Like that's, for me, everything's about the people. You talk about relationships you build, those sorts of things that make businesses hard to leave. They had those values that were my own values in this business and it was consistent. Mm. The alignment was, I have to say, it was unbelievable. I thought it was actually my mind playing tricks at me at some points. I'm just <laughs> thinking, how could this number of executives and senior people and directors virtually have the same message consistently and then other people you spoke to within the team of whether it was Langer, Rourke or Select, it was exactly the same. Yeah, it's nice. It, it was it was. It was really impressive. Mm. And so then what was your, your role? What's your role today? So the business unit leader for Select yep. nationally. Um, so again, different different to what I was used to, national footprint. You definitely get to understand the complexities of a geographical footprint working in, in a regional-based business You know, where, where some things are 400 kilometres apart. Now we just might be 4,000 kilometres apart or close enough to it if you go to Western Australia. But... Um, yeah, it's that opportunity to, to grow a business on a national stage, basically. So so maybe just to give the audience a bit, bit layer down. So as the business unit manager or leader, uh, what what are your responsibilities within Select Plan Australia? I don't know how to really summarise that, but um, the only way to liken it, it would be like a, it's a traditional GM's role, basically. Um, is the way to describe it. So responsibility for the sales, the strategy, the performance, people development, all the elements you'd think that would drive a business forward is, mm. you know, that's the marketing and communications, a whole heap of different things. Yeah, yeah so really it's taking on that GM role within yep. the select plan Australia Correct. Uh, unit. So then... Renting internally to your own projects mostly, like yep. what is the main makeup of the type of assets that you're renting? So there's a lot um, actually. So a lot of a lot of um, vehicles and, and transportation style work, uh, whether it's trucks, buses, standard vehicles, whether they're hybrid, electric, which is a big part of what we're doing these days. Um, Rail equipment's massive. Cranes and lifting is our two biggest categories. I would have to say would be rail and specialised rail. You know that's um, not standard hand tools for rail, mm. mechanical rail equipment. Like if you need to build a railway, that's the equipment we provide. Um, general, you know, when I say general, you know, excavators, skid steers, lift loaders, telehandlers, all those sorts of things. So a lot of general equipment, but again focusing predominantly on the leading edge technology best in class and you know really doing things differently with products than the market is yeah so so something that i see a lot 
where you've got a contractor or a construction company that's just managing their own assets. Yep. I, I noticed that they don't treat their assets as well as a rental company. Um, and the they try and prolong the life of the asset way longer than what a traditional rental company would be. Yep. Um, because you've split it out into its own entity and it's got its own P&L and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff, does that mean that the way that you, like you're running the business is you're, you're, you want to run it like a rental company and not have that mentality of just burn through the assets? Yeah, definitely. So it's all about asset longevity. That's that's the business element. You know, as much as people will say that they're in the rental industry, they're in business. Um, and any successful business has sustained returns long-term. And the best way to do that in a plant-heavy business is to have your assets work better for longer. Mm. Um, it's as simple as that. So we definitely maintain our equipment for as long as possibly we can until what I would say technology takes over and we need to invest in something else yeah. and having having a fleet and business nimble enough to be able to respond to that I think that's probably one of the big Achilles heels of most rental businesses in the Australian market is that the length and, and time that you have your equipment on your on your books yeah definitely and so and there's a large investment going into the asset uh, books within Select Plan Australia. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, investing in, again, things that are different. Because there's one thing, you know, you, a lot of different people could make a lot of different mistakes with a business not like Select. You know, definitely ambitious to grow, develop. But what can we do that others can't? Or others are, are unavailable or unable to do at that point in time. Mm. So I think that's what's driven you know, our strategy and, you know, we really want to do reciprocal business with other players in the industry because we're not going to have the same equipment. That's essentially where I think we're being driven. And I think a lot of that's driven by customers. You know, we at Lango Rock, we do a lot of work for construction, for infrastructure, defence, you know, big infrastructure, road projects, rail projects, and people are actually starting to say, what is different about your offer? Well, we offer sustainable and innovative equipment to help deliver our project and we manage it, mm. you know, and then when you couple it with a logistics offering, we manage the whole logistics equation on a project side so the people can actually concentrate on building on time, yeah. in budget and concentrating on what they're good at. Yeah, rather than trying to manage other things that aren't Absolutely. actually part of their job. Correct. Yeah. It's like I always think about... Um, I can remember once someone on the podcast once said that like when someone's renting equipment from you, like they're not thinking about like you all the time. They're thinking about them using the equipment to finish their job. Mm. I think a lot of people don't understand that. So it's like if you deliver something and it's like an hour late, that might have a massive flow-on effect to a whole other trades that are lined up to do a certain piece of work. And so absolutely, all that matters is you give them the right bit of gear, you get it on time, and the machine works. That's Correct. all the customer cares about. Yep. Um, you thinking that the customer's like thinking about, oh, I love this gear so much and whatnot. They don't care. All they care, if you can do those three things and build them correctly, obviously, yep. then you've got a happy customer. Absolutely. And I think that's, it's a simple business. And I think that's, you know, when you say simple business, I'm talking about the industry as a whole. A rental is a simple business. It's doing the simple things well. You know, 
finding out what the customer wants. Does it actually meet their needs? Get it to them on time in the right condition so it's gonna work. Invoice correctly, then they're happy with your service and they pay the bill. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah, it is, isn't it? It is, <laughs> and I think that's, I think, you know, we've got to always remind ourselves of that. And I think that's for any business. It's it's that simple process. And the more complicated you make it, the more opportunity you allow for things to not go as as best as they could. And so just for others that aren't aware of how like a, a when you've got a contractor and then an asset arm within that. Yep. So when you rent something to Langer Rocks, mm-hmm. one of Langer Rocks projects, you're invoicing the project? Like how does it work from a cost standpoint on the equipment? Yeah, so I think that it's it's treated exactly like a business. So it's um, we invoice the project and the project pays. We just are a one-stop shop for all their equipment needs, whether it's wet hire, dry hire, different types of solutions. We take away and manage that whole plant element on delivering a project. Mm. And now coupled with that logistics element where we actually track, manage whether it's um, spoil and waste, um, overburden, elements coming in, whether they're precast, we manage that whole piece as well. So when you start to think about that, we remove all those productivity blockers as what I'll call them from a, a, from a construction project. Mm. So again, just maximizing how quick we can get a project delivered, which is what any customer will want. Yeah. Definitely. And talking about sustainability and projects, so I read online that you Langer Rock was actually working on a project recently that was completely off-grid. Correct. So we'd actually delivered that. So th- that was one of the special moments, I will say. So it was actually, we were recognised as a finalist for the IFC, ISC Awards. Well, it used to be ISC or ISCA, now it's ISC. Um, so totally off-grid, hybrid power solution, solar battery saving something like 45,000 liters of diesel per annum wow. um, and it's reusable I think that's the the biggest thing I think that a lot of the risk that you think about with doing some sort of sort of hybrid power solution or solar array on a project for site accommodation is how do you keep using it because generally you'd think about them on, on a like a house or a structure that's permanent so I think that's the it's modular. It does the work beautifully. I think that was a great piece of work by the team, and I think that really talks about our commitment to innovation, not only sustainability but innovation, where we just have a willingness to do things differently and and have the ability to do it. Mm. You know that that's one of the biggest things for Select is that um, we have a dedicated team just concentrating on that on innovation, sustainability, being better at everything that we do. That is their sole function. Wow. So so maybe, uh, I'm sure the listeners are pretty, we'll put a link in, in the show notes so people can go check out the project online as well, but maybe just to give context on the scale of the site. Um, yep. We're not just talking about a small no. site here. Like what, what? Maybe just a little context on where the project was. And the, and yeah, the so it's actually it. still in situ as we speak. So it's the Great Eastern Highway, Kilmani. Um, think near sale in victoria so or eastern victoria um on the pacific coast side um great project big footprint probably about site accommodation for 200 plus people all the amenities 
we run the whole thing off solar and, and industrial battery. So, and obviously with Victorian weather, we had to have a backup generator, but you're able to size it effectively. So I think one of the big things, again, getting back to understanding customer need, you know, really assessing what the customers require. One of the biggest things I think when it comes to sustainability and good decisions when hiring equipment is having the right equipment to do the work. People like to overdo things. Mm. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I've found, you know, with generators or power rent, um, is people like a bigger generator than what they actually need. Yeah, and so so when you say that it's reusable, mm-hmm. so maybe just give some context to that because I'm sure the listeners are like, what does that mean? Yeah, so the solar array is integrated into the, the actual roof of, of the buildings, um, whether we've used them as a modular concept as like a pergola um, where you can actually, it's fully enclosed, you can actually get away from the weather as that that is your roof, so to speak, but it's also integrated into the roof of the, the accommodation itself. Wow. And it can be transported, reused, because that was one of the biggest risks, I think, and probably one of the reluctance pieces around having a, a decent size setup to actually run a fairly large facility like that um, is how many of those, you know, containerized solar battery would be able to do it mm. um so we actually integrated into the use the available space on the roof of the buildings wow that's interesting isn't it we'll definitely put a link in the in the show notes so people can check it out uh you talked about sustainability and innovation so how much investment is going into like electric um equipment or any sort of equipment like hydrogen generators potentially like whatever yep. it might be so look i think that we have like i said we have got a dedicated team just working on that every single day that is their core function so we do we do an extreme amount of work on understanding where the market's heading, all those sorts of things. But one of the biggest achievements that we've had come out of that to date is the two 250-ton electric or unplugged crawler cranes from Lieber. Um, they'll be the first in the construction industry early next year, so after Christmas, depending on when this is released. So for us, that's a significant investment in that's that style of equipment. We're, we have a large crane fleet as it as it stands now, but we really want to pivot how we do that lifting work. So that's a really exciting investment. We've just recently purchased 10 two-and-a-half-ton electric telehandlers or unplugged telehandlers um, from Manitou, another great product. Um, I think that just talks about our commitment to shifting the way we currently work and doing things uh, differently to everybody else in the industry. Mm. Not only in construction, but also rental. And so have you spoke, like, so as Langer Rourke, as the end customer, what's their response to these sort of things? Are they super excited to get the equipment out there? Have they had much exposure to, like, piloting some of the equipment? Absolutely. I think that, um, so we've successfully used those unplugged crawler cranes as an example in the UK for some time. So the technology and the equipment just simply wasn't available in Australia. So that was one of the benefits that we do have is that we have a UK team that actually gets to test and trial this style of equipment first and then we get to benefit from that. And then similarly on other pieces of work like the you know the, the solar and I suppose the battery site solution off-grid, um, they've really taken with that 
yeah, that they actually didn't yeah. do that in in the UK. So that we're swapping. I think that's the benefit of having that cross hub relationship piece where they're exposed to different products to what we are, depending on the different market conditions, geographical conditions, and we get to benefit from the experience of both. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, well, like clearly like electrics having a massive play at the moment and it's growing, it's growing. I think it's still a few years away before it really sweeps it. But like, yep. I guess the signs are that um, all the major companies are pushing it. And when they push it, it just flows downstream. Well, it's not just that. I think people, you know, particularly construction companies are really starting to listen to their customer. So the people we're developing and, and you know, delivering these projects for, they want sustainable options. They want a sustainable project, something that's not going to cause harm further on down the track. And I think that talks to, you know, all the different elements of, you know, social inclusion and all those different um, pieces of work that is so heavily, you know, thought about these days. So it's a great opportunity. And so I'm keen to learn a bit more about you as well. So if you were to chat to young Nathan as a Yardie, uh, or maybe someone else that's that's coming up through the ranks, like what advice would you give to them and then the next generation of leaders? So I think well, there's a piece of advice that, that I'd give to both the leaders and the people coming through the business at any level is that you need to condition yourself to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think that's where you see the most amount of growth within not only you as, a, as an individual, but also as a team. So if you really want to push boundaries, you have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And and how do you manage that? Because obviously some people will say, oh, when I do those sort of things, I get anxiety or I get stressed or whatever it is. Like how, how, do, how do you manage those things? Is yep. it surrounding you with the right people? Is it knowing that you can always bounce back and it's yep. just one day? Like how do you yeah, manage 100%. that? I think there's a couple of different elements and dimensions to that. So I think start small. Um, don't bite off too much too soon um, particularly if you if you're you're new into it and you you really um, haven't got those runs on the board so to speak start small mm. but always think big um, don't be afraid to fail because if if you're not failing you're not learning um, that that's a, a big thing you know and you need to definitely surround yourself with the right people that's critical. You're, you're only as good as the team around you. Mm. Yeah, you just got to put yourself out there. And I think one thing that I've like tried to adopt a lot in the last few years is I used to try and work on like lots of different big things at once. It's very hard. Like when you've got lots of big goals and you aren't really like focused on one particular thing, whether it could be personal or business, yep. I found that like I achieved so much more when I was like, all right, for the next six months, like, yeah, I'm going to have lots of small things I want to work on. But this is the main thing. I want to focus on this. Because, yeah, it's almost like you can focus on so much and then you actually achieve little to nothing or you yep. focus on one thing and you can actually kick that goal and then use that motivation to get the next thing, the next thing, and the next yep. thing. Agreed. I think, you know, that's, that's probably a, a thing that I've definitely noticed over the last 20-odd years is you have more success when you start with less, as in you may only want to concentrate on four things and execute extremely well instead of having a plan for 10 and executing six at 60 percent mm. you're better off picking four or five things and really executing really well yeah and then it's also 
figuring out like which of those goals can be delegated because Absolutely. you can't you can't do everything no, that's nobody, right. nobody can do it. and the person that thinks they can do everything is never going to scale that's exactly right and i think you, again that comes back to surrounding yourself with the right people the right team and being as much as a coach as a leader i think they're both linked um, to the people you have around you and develop them as well mm. and i think that sort of leads into the success piece yeah and so talking about development uh, you mentioned a couple of names earlier in the piece uh, who are some people that you think have played a big influence from a mentor perspective so i picked up uh, uh, lots of different tricks along the way but I definitely would say there are, there are a few people that um, taught me things that I've carried with me the whole way. Uh, definitely Adrian Manning is one, um, was my leader for a fair chunk of time um, in a number of different geographies um, in New South Wales. Definitely very people orientated so and understood the business extremely well. So had a lot of experience, the leverage, but really knew how to treat people extremely well. Um, Pete Davis for sure I don't know if Pete's been on this podcast but uh, Pete Davis was a mechanic um, is now the EGM of Fleet at Coates really pushed and really understood basics like do the basic things really well and execute but also be entrepreneurial and don't be afraid to be an innovator so I had one sort of one more people control and one try something different. Yeah. Yeah, I think on uh, a podcast earlier, I think Colleen Cohen, I'm not sure if you know that name, but she worked at, at National a while ago and uh, she was talking about when Adrian was on the counter back then and, yeah, looking where he is today and the success he's had. But... Back to what you said, starting in the yard mm. and working your way up. So like when you look back at the person that was working in the yard and got that referral from your friend or your relative and then look at the role you're in today, mm. like how does that make you feel? Exceptionally proud um, and grateful because I think that um, it's one thing to have desire but to have the opportunities as well to succeed and grasping them with both hands um, so I think that's one thing that's uh, never never been uh, off put by risk everyone who knows me knows I love risk so if it was still a 50-50 call I'd still grab it with both hands and make it work yeah. and I think that's you know again that, that comes back to that be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable because I've been uncomfortable a lot <laughs> um, so um, and I think that's, you know, all those things, you know, and things that people can't say be done. You know, if people says that something can't be done, I'm, I'm the person to show you that it can. Yeah, I think, I'm not sure which basketball player said it. I think it was, I'm going to say Tim Duncan, but I'm sure it's someone else. But it's got a very famous quote, uh, which then mm. I think Nike added as like, just put it on all their posters now. And it, mm. it, uh, it's called, uh, impossible is nothing. And it's like such a good quote because like it just captures like the what it means to actually like be fully encapsulated in something and then like not let anyone else's influence affect what you think you can or can't achieve. Absolutely. Because the moment that you label something impossible, 
Like you've already you've already it's lost just, the battle. It's just work, and, and when I say it's just work, it, it's something. Um, I've got three sons, and obviously that, that comes in uh, that, that comes with a, a number of different challenges, and a, as most people would understand. But you know, when when you're coaching and leading, even your you know your your sons and your children, they say oh, I can't do it. Yeah, it's just work. You break it down, and it's no different when you have a challenge or, or do something marginal you simply or something's impossible mm. break it down and take the steps and yeah. then just work and the other thing that i found like over the years like if you you know the the saying where like if you're going to write like a, a bad email like probably mm. leave it to the next day because you're yep. going to think very differently like, the same thing happens with anything that's hard like whatever you think is like really hard on monday on mm. tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday whatever day it is like your mindset might be completely different different day different perspective Hundred percent, totally agree with that, and I think that um, one of the one of the biggest learnings that I've had during my career is that that perceived time pressure. You really need to unpack that because something that you may think is incredibly urgent right now may not be, mm. but at that point in time it is, and you may make the wrong decision or the wrong call. It's not saying don't make a decision, you know, timely but really understand one, the risk, and two, take the pace out of it. Yeah, I think that happens a lot. A lot of people, they think they have to complete something in a certain time and the, whoever's asking for that or whatever the situation is, they're just, oh, could you get it done by this time? And then they, 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 they're too nervous to say, oh, this is actually quite complicated or hard or I'm not sure, can we extend it out? And then they just do it anyway. I always think about that as everyone's a customer. You know, that's whether it's internal, external, validate, actually understand the need, then sell to your capability. It's no different, you know. That's, um, I think it was uh, one of the other people that have been on here, everyone's in sales. Whether you're an operational person, doesn't matter what you're doing in any part of your life, you're in sales, you're selling something. And at the end of the day, they need a service from you. Although there's no financial um, exchange, they need a service from you. Um, understand, validate, qualify, quantify, mm. all those things. And then it's very clear, I can deliver this by then. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I do like that. I think uh, Braden Mirren came on the podcast and he said, no, sales sell the first and then service sell the rest. And then it's like mm. a big team working together. 100%. It's like it's only a little ecosystem. I think people forget that everyone's on the same team yeah that's it and then finally so listening to all that like then how do you define success i alluded to it a little bit before um success is the success of your people simple i don't think if you want to be successful as an individual if your team and you're a leader in particular um if your team is successful that is your success that's you know they wouldn't be successful without the right leadership coaching mentoring all those things to see your people succeed generally will mean that you're hitting targets that you're doing what you're obligated to do for your business i think that's the best the best mm. way to, to look at it yeah i hate when i i hear businesses say that they don't want to let someone go because it's going to put a void in their business but then the person has an amazing opportunity like i feel like that's very selfish 
for for businesses. If that's true, you've done your job. Exactly. That's the way I view it. So if your people are succeeding and have opportunity for the right opportunity to move roles, whether internally or ex- externally, then you've been an effective leader and that's a success. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah. That I've, I've always thought that. It's like you... Yeah, it's a pain in the ass that you've got to recruit for the next six months and try and fill backlog that that role. But like, look at what you've you've brewed <laughs> yep. in this person, and then they're going to go on and hopefully do the same thing. Where if you like control someone and don't let them progress in their career and whatnot, then you're already like forming like a really negative uh, culture yep. within the organization. If you keep people at the heart of everything you do, and and that includes customers Um, because customers are people, um, you will be successful. Yeah, that's it. All right, Nathan, well, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. My pleasure.